0: All right, top of the morning to you people at Four Oaks Church. Pastor Paul here coming at you on a Wednesday morning, April 6th, 2022. We call these 10 or 15 minutes we spend every weekday morning Romans Rewind. We sort of are running concurrently um, with our sermon series on Sunday mornings at Four Oaks to the Book of Romans. Obviously, there's so much stuff in Romans, so much material, meat on the bone, We don't have time to eat it all on a Sunday morning, so we follow behind here the week after and sort of uh, pick up some of the different themes and pieces and unpack them in more detail. And this past Sunday, of course, we were in maybe the most well-known of all Bible passages in the Bible, certainly in Romans, um, Romans 8, 28 and following. And Paul's point here is to communicate to the Roman Christians that God does not do random that there is no happenstance in their lives, that everything that happens, while it may not be intrinsic, intrinsically good, it is, in fact, used for good for the conforming of them to the image of Christ. And we left off last time talking about the golden chain of salvation and how we believers know that this is true. And I want to take us back to those two verses here just for a second and as we continue to unpack this um uh, Romans 8 29 says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and those whom he predestined, he also called and those whom he called, he also justified and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, Paul is going to return to this theme of predestination, election, God's saving purposes and salvation um with a test, with a with a test case in Romans nine related to the people of Israel. But what we're doing here is is sort of unpacking that word predestined and looking at certain what we might call philosophical um, misunderstandings we might have about it, or even theological misunderstandings. And for the last two weeks, if you haven't seen it, uh, repent immediately, go back and watch those two from from yesterday and the day before, but we talked about how first prayer, and then evangelism are not antithetical to the sovereignty of God. In fact, they flow out of a robust understanding of the sovereignty of God. Um, it's not a matter of why pray if God is sovereign. It's why would you pray if God isn't sovereign, right? Um, we can evangelize knowing that it's not ultimately upon us to change people's hearts. That's God's responsibility. Well, I want to come to a, a, a third issue that people wrestle with when... Um, they consider these terms that the Bible, let's be honest, uses all the time, um, it, numerously. Words like predestined, which means to determine beforehand, election, um, chosen. Um, these are all you know words, New Testament words that we need. We can't get around. We don't want to get around them, right? We want to understand what they what they mean. And so one of the one of the common I think misunderstandings or questions that people have related to this idea of predestination and God's sovereignty is, well, Pastor Paul, what does that mean for free will? Don't I, is not my will free to do what I want to do when I want to do it, choose what I want when I want to choose it? And doesn't predestination, does that not make us in some sense robots or how, how does this work exactly? And I want to take us um, this morning to several passages. So if you don't have your Bibles, again, repent, go get one, come back. But we're going to look at several passages here, which I think help us to understand. And here's the punchline. It's not that we don't have a will. We most certainly do as humans. And it's not that we don't have the ability to choose on a certain level. We most certainly do. The question is, um, what is the capacity of our will? What what will or can or won't um, choose? Right? Is there limits to our will on what it can and cannot choose or can and cannot do? And I think we're going to find here in Scripture um, the answer is obviously yes. And so, so first of all, uh, let me read a verse that I read yesterday, Romans nine sixteen, and this is the verse that I think in all of Scripture is one of the clearest as it relates to the relationship of our will and God's will. Okay, so Paul says this in Romans nine sixteen. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Now, Paul doesn't say there we don't have a will. He just says our will is not decisive. That ultimately what is decisive is God's will. Um let, 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 let me let me let me let's unpack this some more. So turn over to 1 Corinthians 2:14. And again, we're trying to understand the nature of our will firstly in our natural state. What what state was our will born in? What was it able to do? What was it not able to do? Okay? So 1 Corinthians 2:14 says this. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So that, that that's an interesting statement from Paul, right? Is that in our natural state, we are, as natural men, natural people, we are blinded to spiritual realities. Um, we cannot see... Uh, for things as they truly are in terms of the spirit, right? He's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And so, so one thing we need to understand is that what God is doing here is putting parameters around the human will. There are certain things that the human will is not able to do um, by its very nature. It's not able to understand the things of, um, of the spirit, Okay, of its own spiritual things, kingdom, gospel, Jesus. It doesn't mean we can't intellectually know them, but it means that we can't see them for who or what they truly are without the intervention of God. This is what Jesus gets at in John three, right? He says, "I tell you, Nicodemus, a man cannot be born again." Okay. Um, Actually, let me rephrase that. He says, "Let me tell you what, Nicodemus, you cannot even." see the kingdom of God, much less enter the kingdom of God. You can't even see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And so oftentimes we think about this idea, well, the way we enter the kingdom of God is that we are born again. We place our faith in Christ. And in reality, it's the opposite, right? It's God who regenerates our hearts, opens our eyes um, to see our true condition and Christ for who we truly is, regenerates us, and then we are compelled towards faith by virtue of having our eyes open to who Christ truly is. Here's a powerful passage. Turn over to John chapter 8. And here Jesus is debating once again with the Pharisees. And they are claiming to be children of Abraham, but yet they miss Abraham's seed, which is Jesus himself. So let's, let's pick it up in John 8.30. For I came for God and am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Okay, think about that. Jesus says the reason the Pharisees and really all natural men cannot freely choose God or see him for who he is Is they have a different nature. They have a different father. They are the father of the devil, they're the children of the devil of lies, which is really where all unsaved mankind is. Their eyes are blinded to the truth, and their will is constrained by their nature. Now, Jonathan Edwards wrote a lot about this, and he talked about this idea that we choose to do things according to our own desires, our natural desires. And the state of the of the person who is born, okay, into the natural world, it's all of us, at one point or the other, right, is that we don't choose God freely because our wills are bound. Luther wrote about this as well. They, our natures are corrupt. They cannot see who Jesus is truly is. It doesn't mean they can't understand things about him. It doesn't mean they can't do good things. It just means the reason they can't freely choose him independent of God is because their nature is corrupt. They cannot perceive. The natural man can't perceive. He can't see the kingdom of God, much less enter. Um, they have, their desires are conformed to the desires of their flesh, of the world, and the devil, and not Christ. Which leads us to the question then, well, then how does someone become a Christian, right? How does someone then feel compelled to choose Christ? And again, it's not because they woke up one day and said, today's the day I'm going to change my heart. We know that's not the way it works. And I think Paul gives us some help here in Philippians chapter 2. It's the last verse we're going to look at. And to me, it probably is the clearest statement in all of Scripture, Um, about the the relationship of our will to God's will, okay? Um, Look at verse thing. Uh, Verse, you know, of course, I'm going to get this in front of me, and the reason I can't find it is that I'm in Ephesians. (laughs) So, all right, two, here we go. Philippians chapter two. Um, Again, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So Paul doesn't say there we don't have a will. We absolutely have a will. And we are absolutely free to choose, but only in accordance with our nature. Which means that if we're going to choose the things of Christ, God is going to have to initiate. God is going to have to be the one that opens our eyes and changes our hearts for us to see Jesus as he truly is. And as we do, the Spirit compels us. His will becomes irresistible, right? Um, We are compelled to choose Christ because the Holy Spirit has opened our eyes and regenerated our hearts. So here's how this works, okay? Paul says, work out your salvation, That's a command. Work out your, you know, that involves your will, obedience. But Paul says the reason you can work out your salvation is because it is first God who wills and acts in you according to his purpose. So do you see how that works? God's will is the umbrella. It's not like we have God's will here and our will here and they're doing battle. No, God's will is the umbrella and God uh, acts first we follow along with, in accordance with our nature and our changed hearts, work out your salvation for or because it is God who wills and works in you according to His good pleasure. And so, I, I, I'm bringing all this up this morning to sort of um, to sort of help us get past some of the mischaracterizations when we talk about this idea of election or being chosen or God's sovereignty or predestination. It doesn't mean that we can't, quote unquote, freely choose, okay, before that. It just means that our choices are bound by our corrupt hearts and our corrupt nature. We only choose according to what our heart truly desires. And like the Pharisees, we are born in a place of not desiring to submit our lives to Christ because we don't see his beauty. It takes the sovereign intervening grace of God to open our eyes, to regenerate our hearts, to draw us to himself. And then we, yes, freely choose Christ because God has changed our heart and our nature. Okay, I know there's much more we could say about that, but not today. Hopefully tomorrow, Lord willing. So hope you join us then for today. Let me pray. Lord, we want to just acknowledge we are treading on holy ground here. We don't want to turn the doctrines of grace into debate points, Lord. We want to have grateful, thankful hearts um, that are warmed by the presence of your spirit through your word, that we in turn might give you praise and honor and glory and honor you in all that we do. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody. See you tomorrow.